Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Thank you, worship team. And uh, I have the honor of giving a message this morning. By the way, that message, that I mean, that song, that new song that you guys sang, Fire. Fire, heck of good. Thank you, worship team, for bringing us into the presence of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, babe. So I'm a little nervous. Oh, okay, there we go. All right. I'm a little nervous, but um, I'm more so excited than nervous to share what's on my heart this morning. I just want to say uh, a couple of truths this morning, and that is that there's freedom in this place. There's freedom in this place. Why? Because Jesus reigns. Jesus reigns. And so I just want to say if you're tired and you're, you're thirsty, <laughs> honestly, if you're tired and you're thirsty, there's freedom in this place because Jesus reigns. Amen? Well, I am uh, Pastor Raquel, and I'm the wife of uh, Donald Ministry Johnson. I'm sorry, Don the Baptist. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, let me get that right. <laughs> I'm uh, his wife, and um, we're the pastors. Uh, I'm, we're pastors, yeah, I'm a pastor. And so, um, of the Young Adults Ministry, and uh, yeah, yeah, Young Adults, any Young Adults in here? Or even if you're not a young adult, you can go ahead and clap, come on. Or if you feel like you're still a young adult, please go ahead and clap. <laughs> um, and I'm also the lead intercessor here at the building. And um, yeah, and I, I'm uh, so thankful for pastors John and Kaya. Um, they are such... God-fearing leaders. They're shepherds of this house and they love God's people because they love Jesus so well. Amen. If you know them, then you know that to be true. Um, and so I know that right now Pastor John is at Washington and he is, um, he is preaching at another church. And so um, before I start, I want to just go ahead and pray for him because uh, I want to honor them, right? I want to honor them because they press through so much. They press through so that way we could know Jesus. We could be closer to God. And they sacrifice a lot. And because of their obedience, I want to honor that. And I want to pray for them. So if you'll join with me and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you right now for Pastors John and Kaya. We thank you, God, for our pastors. God, we thank you that you have given us shepherds after your own heart. So Lord, right now we lift up uh, Pastor John and we just pray, God, for an extra amount of grace upon his life, Lord, that you would continue to keep him and watch over him. We thank you, Lord, for his health, that his health, his health faileth not. God, that he will, he will live and not die, God. We thank you, Jesus, that every time he calls on the name of the Lord, he is rescued, he is saved, 
he is sustained. And God, we thank you that your power, your glorious power is upon him, Lord. And you are showing God the world, Lord, that in our weakness, your strength is made perfect through Pastor John. So Lord, thank you for what you're doing in and through him. Bless their service. Bless that church. And we thank you for bringing him home safely to his family. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, I want to get started. I didn't even pray for my message, so let me just do that, okay? Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your presence in this place, and thank you for the message that you've given me, Lord, that I would hide it in my heart and not sin against you. And God, I pray that you are seen, and Jesus, I just want to say, have your way in your in, in, your, in your house and let our hearts be open to receive what you want to do and say in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Pastor John shared uh, a life-changing message. Honestly, we've been getting such good word every Sunday, right? And uh, he shared a, a really great message last Sunday um, on Joshua chapter 7. And he talked about Achan and Joshua and the people of God and how they were living in victory. And then sin entered the camp. Do y'all remember that message? Such a great message. And one of the points that Pastor John talked about, I want to share this morning. He said, the sin of neglected prayer. That was one of the points that he talked about, about when sin entered the camp. There was the sin of neglected prayer. So this morning, I want to just welcome you guys into a prayer class. That's what we have this morning. This is what we're doing right now. We're having a prayer class. Uh, I don't know if you guys know, but we have prayer. uh, We have a prayer team here at the Building Christian Fellowship. And yeah, if you're a part of that team, raise your hand, say hallelujah. But we have intercessors here that are interceding for our church, our community. They're interceding for uh, different, just the world, different different. Uh, groups of people, situations that are happening right now. We have people of prayer, you guys. And so every January, we have prayer classes. And so this morning, you unwillingly have, ha- have registered yourself into a prayer class. All right? So the sin of neglected prayer. In Matthew 16, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his death. And he's telling them that the world's sin is that it refuses to believe in him. That's what he's telling them. He's saying, hey, the world's sin is that it doesn't believe in me. And here's the thing about prayer, is that the enemy doesn't mind you praying. He doesn't. He doesn't mind that you pray, as long as your belief isn't in God. He doesn't mind you praying religiously. He doesn't mind you signing up for all these different prayer classes. He doesn't mind you reading about prayer. He doesn't mind you hooking up with other people and you praying for people. And as you're walking down the streets, you're telling people, I'm going to pray for you. And you put your hands on them. He don't mind you doing any of that as long as it's religious. When our belief is, is present, that's when things change. We have to check ourselves to make sure we're not being religious that we're not praying out of routine, that we're not, you know, clocking in and then clocking out, that we're not checking in and, you know, that we're not checking off these boxes when we pray, that that's not, that's not what prayer is. Prayer isn't something that we 
we just do. It's who we are. The moment I believe God is able, trustworthy, strong, the moment I believe that he's peace and he's salvation is the moment we, I, we begin to believe in a holy, righteous, and just God. And that changes everything. Our life is never the same. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in him. Those who believe on the Lord Jesus know they are not like the world. Prayer is a mighty act of agreeing with what God says. Did you guys hear that? Prayer is a mighty act of believing what God says. What I, have, what I believe has power to save or destroy me. Romans 10, 9 through 13 says, if I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, I will be saved. That with my heart, I believe in Jesus as Savior. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord in prayer will be saved. Belief has everything to do with who God is and who we are in him. The enemy has an assignment. We know that the word says that the enemy comes to kill, steal, and destroy, right? Okay, that's his assignment. And from there, he's working on angles to deceive God's people. So he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And from that, he's working on angles to deceive us. He always will, and he will continue to do that. Angles of offense, angles of unforgiveness, in our lives, to attack our identity and our confidence and our authority. This morning, as we're all sitting here, there's an assignment on your purpose, and it's connected to your prayer life. Why? Because prayer is about loving God. It's our connection to life with him. If the enemy can come in and he can create a wedge between us and our Savior, then he's accomplished what he wanted to do, and that is to kill, steal, and destroy our relationship with our Father. Why? Because in our relationship with him, we have our identity, we have our authority, and we have our confidence. And that's so important to be able to, to, to be a light in your community. It's so important. It's, it's, it's so important to be a light in your family. It's so important to be a light in your, in your school. It's so important. If he can take away your identity, your confidence, and your authority, then he's killed, still, and destroyed your life. Isaiah 56, 7, I love when Jackie came up and she talked about God's house being a house of prayer because that's what we're talking about this morning. Isaiah 56, 7, I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. You guys, this is God's vision for the church, not just TBCF, but for the church. Amen. Last week, uh, I heard Pastor John say uh, uh, when he declared we have victory, he said, you have victory. And I don't know, for some reason, it hit me different last Sunday. Um, we have the power to overcome. And I think the reason why it hit me different is because this doesn't happen apart from prayer. I can't have victory. I can't overcome apart from prayer. So prayer isn't just taught, it's caught. Hold that thought, okay? Prayer isn't just taught. It is taught, but it's not just taught. It's also caught. Prayer isn't manufactured or a manuscript. It's caught. 
The more I surround myself around people of prayer, the more I learn the language of prayer. Luke 11.1, Jesus is praying, and one of the disciples hears him praying. And he comes up to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, can you teach me how to pray? Because not only was this disciple hearing Jesus pray and watching him pray, but he was catching it. Have you ever heard someone teaching or, or, or preaching or, or giving a presentation and you're listening and they're like, did you catch that? And you're like, I caught that. That's what that disciple was. Hey, I, I heard you pray. Teach me. I want to catch this. So let's talk about the meaning of culture. The definition of culture is um, the way of life of groups of people meaning the way they do things. A culture is passed on to the next generation by learning. Culture is seen in what they do. For instance, we saw Brother Reuben, not to put him on blast, but we saw him up here. And first of all, let me just say very gently that we rarely see our men up here worshiping God. And here it is, Brother Reuben's up here and he's worshiping. And do you know why that is? He just came back from a men's conference where these men regularly go to the front and worship. That's their culture. That's the culture of what these men do. These men press in, go to the altar, and worship the Lord. And so what happened? Brother Reuben went there, came back, and brought that back here. How many times have we gone to a conference? I remember I was little, uh, younger, and I went to a choir of the fire. Anybody remember choir of the fire? <laughs> I went to the choir of the fire. Like that was the thing. Like when you were in youth group, it was like, we're going to the choir of the fire. And so we went to the choir of the fire. We get all pumped up, come to church. And we're like, yeah. And then, and then it's like, where'd everybody go? A week later, two weeks later, no one's at the altar worshiping. No one's jumping up and down. No one's at the altar. Just it's gone. The fire. That was the fire. The culture, we go, we see, then we come back and we spread it. We bring it back. Turn to Matthew 6, 9 through 13, please. After this manner, therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Here we see the model of Jesus giving a prayer to the disciples. And in this prayer, he is modeling what it looks like to acknowledge him as father and provider He's modeling what it looks like to repent and forgive. He's modeling what it looks like to protect and to deliver. He's modeling what it looks like to agree with who he is because he's Lord. Every part of our life, every facet of our life is being covered in this prayer. God is showing us what it looks like to model these things. Here we see Jesus teaching the disciples how to pray. He's, he's showing them, hey, this is the culture. This is how you're going to pray. But isn't it interesting that prayer was first modeled to 12 men? I mean, have we ever really caught that? 
Jesus is sitting with 12 disciples and they were men. That's a big deal because in, in church, where I've, I've been raised in church all my life, I always see mothers and grandmothers and, and women pressing and crying and, 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 and um, interceding and standing in the gap, praying for families, cities. But I rarely see men doing that. And I think there's something to it. The enemy has an assignment to kill, steal, and destroy, remember. And from there, he is working on angles to deceive God's people. Always has been and always will. His angle is always to undermine God's place in our hearts. What are we told to do? We're told to love the Lord with all our, with all our mind, all our strength. We're told to love the Lord with um, love our neighbor, love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But the, the enemy comes in and he's subtle and there's subtle implications. There's subtle suggestions. He's working on an angle and that's your voice. That's to take away your voice. Your voice doesn't matter. It isn't heard. Your voice doesn't matter. She got it. Look, she's going to prayer. Your voice don't matter. It's okay. And that's what he's done with our men. He's assigned indifference and pride and anger to sabotage the prayer of men. Can you guys hear that for a minute? Men, that's the assignment that the enemy has done over and over and over in the church. Why? Why? And our pastors say it all the time, because strong men build strong families and strong families build strong churches and strong churches build strong communities. The enemy is subtle. And he gives implications and suggestions, and he's working this angle. So culture prayer happens when we pray. That's the first point. Culture, culture prayer happens when we pray. In Matthew chapter 6, we see Jesus teaching family prayer. He's saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us, give us our daily bread. Give and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and power. Isn't it interesting that it's not me, 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 it's us, we. Isn't that interesting? When men and women model prayer, our community changes. Why? Because the language of prayer grows. That's why we invite our community to come out together to pray every week. Every Tuesday at 6 p.m., we have family prayer. We hear our pastors say it often. We're a body fitly joined together. We hear it in the word. We read it in the word. We're a body fitly joined together. There's something about when we come together collectively and we pray. Let me just share something with you. I don't have it with me now, but I have this key. And this key uh, that I have is to an old car that was given to us years ago. And this key uh, represents my prayer life. Because in this old van, this old van, windows didn't work, air conditioning didn't work. Uh, we, we were able to get to point A, point B, right? And so, but it was a blessing because it was given to us. And so uh, that car, that van represents where I prayed and cried out to God for our provision, where I, I, I prayed and cried out to God 
to meet uh, me and to change my heart, where what I, what I was seeing around me wouldn't grab hold of my heart, that I would see the Lord as he truly is and that I would trust him in ways that I never did and that I would acknowledge that this was just a season and I was gonna get through this, but God had greater things in store. I knew there was more. That key I still have and it's in our new van <laughs> because I prayed for a new car, amen? And that car, that key is in my car. It's, it just sits there and I look at it and I remember and tears can come because you guys have no idea have you ever prayed for something or someone and God answered and only you know what that meant to you, right? I mean, the belief is real. No one can take that away from you, right? You can't tell me God's not a provider. When I look at that key, I know God is faithful. I know God is faithful. I know he's trustworthy. So guess what? When I come to prayer and we come together collectively, you know what I'm bringing to prayer? I'm bringing that God is trustworthy, I'm bringing God that God is faithful. And guess what you're bringing? You're bringing your testimony of what God has done in your life. Maybe God has been healer. So when you come in and we come together and we collectively pray, you're praying about healing. Maybe God's delivered you from addiction or pornography. And maybe when you come together, we come together collectively, you start opening your mouth and you start praying. Guess what happens? We're hearing a prayer of freedom and deliverance. There's something about when we come together collectively to pray. You guys, we need each other. We have a testimony of prayer, you guys. We have a holy community and we make a symphony of perfect prayers for our cities, communities, every time we pray collectively. Listen, young people, there are things that you are seeing every day at school. There are things that you are exposed to every day that we aren't as parents. We aren't as adults. And when we come together corporately to pray, that's your time to pray and intercede for your peers, for your teachers. We model what we see and there isn't a formula or a manual to prayer. Psalms 139, 13, 18 says, For you formed my innermost being, shaping my delicate inside and my intricate outside, and wove them all together in my mother's womb. I thank you, God, for making me so mysteriously complex. Everything you do is marvelous, breathtaking. It simply amazes me to think about it. How thoroughly you know me, Lord. You even formed every bone in my body when you created me in the secret place, carefully, skillfully shaping me from nothing to something. You saw who you created me to be before I became me. Before I'd even seen the light of day, the number of days you planned for me were already recorded in your book. Every single moment you are thinking of me. How precious and wonderful to consider that you cherish me constantly in every thought. Oh God, your desires towards me are more than the grain of sand on every shore. When I wake each morning, you're still with me. How profound is Psalms 139, 13 through 18? We should, I should print this out and put this everywhere in my home so we can see it in our coming and our going. This is identity. This is purpose. This is where it all started. 
Our uniqueness and individuality, God made it. We communicate in a style and a language that God created. So I show the glory of God every time I communicate intimately with him. And I think that's why it's been hard, if I can be transparent. I think that's why it's been so uh, difficult to, to continue to press um, past thoughts, insecurities, and doubts that I have once before agreed with. It took, I remember uh, it was years ago, Pastor John, who was also my uncle, he said to me, uh, the kids were all really little. We were at family prayer. This was with, uh, in, in, I don't know, what was this place before? Missouri Street. And uh, he looked at me and he said, I can't wait to hear you pray. And I immediately went. And I said in my, I said in my, you ain't never going to hear me pray. I said that inside. I didn't say that outside. I said it in, I was like, you ain't never going to hear me pray. See, because there were things that I agreed with about myself. There were things I agreed with about my voice. I mean, even to hear my voice, I cringed. Like, oh, I hear myself. Or, oh, I see a picture of myself. Oh, I don't like that. There, there are things that I've agreed with somewhere. Something someone said, something I thought, maybe, or maybe just a thought came and I, and I held onto that thought and I entertained it long enough to where I agreed with it. And then now it's like a, it's a stake in my faith. How encouraging is it to remember that when we pray with our uniqueness, when we pray with our expression, when we pray with how God created us to be, that we literally are giving him glory in our prayer life. We all have a style of prayer and it's uniquely and perfectly our own expression. Building your prayer life is unique to you. It's a style and language that is authentic to your individuality and you will only discover how to pray by doing it. You have to learn the language. You will never learn how to, you will never learn, you will never learn if you don't. There's things that people say, they say, um, practice makes perfect, practice makes better, whatever. But you'll never, we'll never ever know if we don't practice. It's like anything. If we don't do it, we won't grow. So the most effective prayers are the unpolished kind. Can I just say that again? The most effective prayers are the unpolished kind. I know we see other people and we get to look at other people and we're like, man, they're amazing. I, have, I feel like I have an amazing family. I can look at the people in my life and I can be, and I say often like, man, that person prays so beautifully. Man, that person sings so beautifully. Atira can sing, uh, play, and she can pray, and she can teach, and she can preach so beautifully. It's like, check, 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 like all of them for her, and she's beautiful. So it's like all of it. And you ever been around someone and I'm like, look at, they just got it all. She has it all together. So I know I'm not alone. I know you guys are laughing because you said that about other people in your life, right? So, so here's the thing about that. Now you've disqualified yourself and you've qualified somebody else. So the most effective prayers are the unpolished kind. I know we want to look like we got it all together. I know we want to look like, man, like, yeah, I just come up here and I talk. Or, yeah, I pray all the time. Or, yeah, I sing or I play all the time. Come on, man. 
I mean, come on. How beautiful it is to be so sincere and authentic with our Lord. Jesus taught the disciples to pray our, us, and we prayers. Why? Because a people united are a people of agreement who are in perfect harmony. Let me say that again. Jesus taught the disciples to pray our, us, and we prayers. Why? Because people united are a people of agreement who are in perfect harmony. The people of Babylon, they, understand, they understood agreement. They knew that their unity would connect them to something much bigger than themselves individually. So they went to building. They went to building a city, a tower. And God said, nothing can stop them for they are a united people. So he caused them to speak different languages so they wouldn't succeed. Hence, the Tower of Babel. Y'all are going to try and build something on your own. You're going to babble. So let me just tell you something. You start building something on your own, you're going to start babbling. Seriously, when we start building something on our own, it's because we've decided that, you know what, God? I got what it takes. I'm going to go ahead. I, I'm just going to go ahead and do it. Remember how I talked about at the beginning? I said I saw people build, lifting these atlas stones. I'm walking in and I'm seeing these people who are so strong and they're lifting these atlas stones. And I'm looking, I'm like, man, God, is that what it looks like when I try to do things my own way? Like, God, is that what that looks like? Like, when I don't reverence the goodness of God, when I, when I fail to remember what you've done in my life, is that, that struggling of trying to, is that, is that what it looks like to do something on my own strength, in my own strength? Because honestly, to do something like that every single time is exhausting. Listen, we cannot do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. We cannot do the work of God apart from the spirit of God. When you rely on your own strength, your prayer life is neglected. We're children of God who believe on the Lord Jesus. We're a people of faith who trust and rely on, depend on the spirit of the living God. We put no confidence in our flesh. Amen? A culture prayer happens when we grow our prayer life. Second thing, a culture prayer happens when I bring my identity. Bring your identity to prayer. Jeremiah 17, 7 says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Hebrews 10, 35 says, so don't throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the reward it brings you. I missed a word. It says great reward. Remember the great reward it brings you. Don't throw away your confident trust in the Lord. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Why am I sharing Jeremiah, um, Hebrews, and Philippians? Because confidence has a lot to do with our authority and identity. When you know God is faithful, just, and good, and who you are in him, you have a different frame of mind. You have a different perspective. You have a different attitude that others who don't have won't understand, but they're watching. They're watching because through your message, they'll see what you believe. They're watching, and through your message, they'll see what you believe. Who remembers the story of Joshua and Caleb? 
the 12 spies that were dispatched by Moses to scout out the land of Canaan for 40 days. Moses asked for an assessment of the land and he sent them out, 12 spies, and 10 came back with a bad report. Do you guys remember that? But the thing about that story is that Joshua and Caleb came back with a different message. In Numbers 14, 24, it says, because my servant Caleb had a different spirit follow and follows me wholeheartedly. Caleb had a different attitude from the other spies. Matthew 26, 41 says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Caleb had a different spirit. He was willing. Caleb was willing to believe God. He knew God would not put them to shame. A willing spirit isn't just about, Lord, send me. Lord, I'll go. Um, But it's about, God, deliver me from my critical heart. It's about, oh, what a wretched man that I am, a miserable man that I am. Who will rescue me? Who will set me free from this, this, this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, my deliverer. Thanks be to God. It's God, my deliverer. Who will deliver me? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our identity gives us access to the kingdom of God. The thing about Caleb that I, I, I just love so much is that when it said that he had, um, he had a different spirit, I said, well, Lord, what is a different spirit? And I heard so clear, he had a, he had a willingness. He was, able, he was willing to see what the others didn't see. And in prayer, that's so important. It's so important to see what God is seeing. Yes, you, we see the, the, the obvious. We see what is before us. But in prayer, we're seeing what God says. We're seeing what he's doing, and we're agreeing with him, not with the circumstances. Our culture, a culture of prayer happens when we bring our identity. Prayer is the bloodline of who we are. Prayer is the bloodline of who we are. We're connected to our God all the time. We have this connection all the time. Not, but here's the thing about it: is it's an open connection that we get to choose to be in. It's a choice we get to make. A culture of prayer happens when I don't stop praying until it happens. Second Corinthians four one says, therefore. Since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Don't forget the mercy extended to you. When we're aware of mercy, we can be thankful in every situation. We can pray in every circumstance and situation with confidence, faith, and trust that God has been merciful towards me. I can pray powerful prayers when I'm aware of mercy. When I'm aware that I've been saved through much, that God is still working in my life, he's not done, there's still stuff that he's working out in me that we're doing together, I can still be merciful. So I'll be slow to judge people. But that's because I'm aware of mercy. I'm aware that I don't deserve to be here right now. I'm aware that God paid a high price for me to walk in relationship with him. I'm aware mercy does that. Mercy is such an important ingredient to our prayer life. 
Mercy is an important ingredient to not losing heart. I can pray God's prayer for people, for nations, for the church, when I don't have a judgmental heart. So you guys, listen. When we have mercy before us and we remember that we have been saved through much and we're still being saved, we will not lose heart. I can pray God's prayer. I can pray the heart of the Father for, um, our, for the church, for our communities, for our families when I'm not judgmental. Be merciful with people and be patient with the work of process. Amen? God is working in us. So be rich in mercy. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 says, But God, being so very rich in mercy, because of his great and wonderful love, which he loved us, even when we were spiritually dead and separated from him because of our sin, he made us spiritually alive together with Christ. For by his grace, his undeserved favor and mercy, you have been saved from God's judgment. You guys, that's an important scripture. We've been saved from God's judgment. God took the place. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so we could be with him, so we could have a prayer life. We could have connection. We could have intimacy with the true and living God. We could live in victory. So much compassion and mercy has been extended to us to the point that he seated us together with him in heavenly places. It's a seat that he's given me. It's a seat of authority that he's given me. He's given us his image, purpose, and will. He's given us even the desire to do what pleases him. He's given me, he's given you the desire to do what pleases him. He is such a good father. For far too long, prayer has looked complicated, unattractive, hard, disappointing, and religious. But God is calling people to wake up and to disassociate themselves from critical, pharisaical prayers where it's high-mindedness, pious thoughts, and be who they are in him, won over in love, justified and filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's the thing about critical and pharisaical thoughts. The high-mindedness and the pious thoughts, they link us to depression and condemnation. We're in a safe place when we keep God's immeasurable love and mercy before us. Now, I know I'm messing with a lot of us right now about prayer because, hey, you know, like, hey, I've been, I've been raised, born, raised in the church, right? I know how to pray. Or I've been around people who pray. So I know what it sounds like and what it looks like. But the thing about that is that without mercy, without recognizing mercy in our life, we become religious with our prayers. And when you start to feel depressed and condemned, it's probably a good inclination to try and check our hearts and see, have we become religious in our interaction with the Lord? Or have we, have we forgotten how good God's been in our life and that mercy is still before us? Prayer is a privilege and a partnership. I get to partner with Almighty God, with Abba Father. 
Our friendship with God is supernatural. And how do I know? Because he tells us everything. Everything the Father says. John 15, 15 says, I call you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I made known to you. He's invested. So we don't stop asking. He's invested. So we don't have to stop coming. We don't have to stop. He's invested. So let's be a people who declare... I'm going to do the will of God until I see the will of God. Let's be a people that declare that I'm going to do the will of God until I see the will of God. I won't stop praying. I won't stop asking and seeking God. And here's the thing about that. Important part of that is repentance. Repentance repentance should be a well-worn path for God's children. Repentance isn't a one-time thing like I give the, the I, I pray and I do the sinner's prayer. No, that's not repentance. It's not a one-time thing. Repentance is an everyday thing for us. Even if we don't know that we've sinned, the, the, the thought that, God, if I've even offended you, I just, I just want to come near you right now. See, our feelings, they're, they're a gauge. They're not a compass. So when we feel distant or we feel like something's there that's an inclination for you to go to the father and ask him hey what what is this what's going on lord i'm feeling a little distant i'm feeling a little indifferent i'm feeling god i don't i'm just tired of church tired of people tired of serving tired of reading my word god i'm just tired i'm tired god that's a good inclination to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to bring this to you, and I need you to show me where did I, where did I leave off? Like, where, where did I drop and, and pick something up? God, what is it right now that's between us? And then to do it in faith, God, I repent right now. I repent. I repent for being far off from you. And I'm going to believe, I'm going to believe that that in this moment right now, even though I don't feel like maybe I've done something wrong, I'm going to believe, though I feel distant from you, I'm going to believe, God, that something's happening between you and I. So, God, I'm going to come to you right now, and I'm going to ask you to create in me a clean heart and renew in me a right spirit. Why? Because, God, you matter to me. Prayer is about loving you. Prayer is about being close with you. And I don't want anything to ever get in the way of that. Amen? Amen. So as I close, I hope you guys are awake. It's probably the way I'm talking right now. You guys are probably like, uh. um, So as I close, uh, if you're on the prayer team, please uh, be sensitive and be prayerful right now. Um, because if someone comes to the altar, people come to the altar, just be willing to come up and pray. Amen? So as I close, I want to share this. Jesus said to some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, he told the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Both men went one, both men went to pray. One had a posture of humility, and the other exalted himself. Jesus was illustrating a picture here. He was showing what the picture of the, the Pharisee, how he had a religion that had no place for mercy. The Pharisee, he had a religion that had no place for for mercy, whereas the tax collector who beat his chest, he saw his need for mercy. 
There are many types of prayers. But this morning, I want to share two kinds that usher in repentance. Supplication. Supplication is a prayer that cries out for grace. It has a strong sense of appeal. One Bible commenter uh, illustrates it in terms of a dog begging for a cookie from his master. So imagine you're eating a meal and a dog is watching you and he's sitting in front of you. And the way in which that dog's eyes look at you longingly, that's supplication. Supplication is a heart that's crying out to God, just like Habakkuk did. Lord, in wrath, have mercy. Supplication is a cry that pleads, God, we are your people. Don't give us what we deserve. But in these days, answer us. Hear our cry. We need your grace and mercy. Supplication prayer does not always sound very elegant. It's a strong, earnest cry. The second one is asking or petitioning. In Matthew 7, 7, we read, ask and it'll be given to you. Ask and keep on asking, it'll be given and keep on being given to you. And this kind of prayer is revealed every day, every day of our dependence on God. We need to live with an asking attitude. Because of our tendency to drift into religiosity, we can think that we are asking too much of God. Like, who are we to keep bothering God with our requests? Aren't we overstepping or isn't it rude? And the answer is no. No, it's not. We're not overstepping. And it's definitely not rude. It's perfectly normal in a relationship between a child and a parent. They keep asking. If you've been around a child, you know they keep asking, they keep asking, they keep asking, they keep asking. They don't stop. And even if you show you're irritated, they keep asking and they keep asking. Do I have to keep saying they keep asking? That's what children do, right? Bless our children. They keep asking. We can ask God for anything. Anything complex or simple, we can ask God for anything. Do you guys hear that? Adults? Adults, mature adults, can you hear that? We can learn something from our children. We can keep asking. Anything complex or simple, we can keep asking. It's not a nuisance to God. It's not a nuisance like it could be to us parents. He's not like us. His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. He's not like us. We have to disagree with that thought that like, oh, I'm a nuisance. Or I should know by now. Or I'm, I'm so tired of coming to him. I'm tiring myself out. I must be tiring him out too. He's not like that. He's, he's sovereign. He's patient. He's long-suffering that none should perish. He wants to hear your voice. Asking is part of your relationship with him. So some of us might be feeling, what's the point of confession and repentance? I keep going back. I'm struggling here. I've disappointed myself too many times, and I know that disappoints God. Can I tell you no? No, it does not. God is never disdained. He does not despise our presence in his. He does not despise your presence in his. I don't know how others have seen you or looked at you, but God does not despise your presence in him. Some of us may be wondering, why confess my sin to God? And why should I repent when I know I'll mess up again? I can't get it right. 
You know why? Because confession and repentance draws us close to God. But a hardened heart is prideful. And there's no place for God in a decision that I've got to get myself together first before I can come to him. We can't make, we can't not take confidence in our own strength. It will fail every time. So this morning, as we close, I want to invite us. I want to invite us, the altars, the altar is open. Before I close, I want to ask this question. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you can today. So is there anybody in here that is bold enough to raise their hand for a prayer of salvation? No? Awesome. We all know Jesus. The second one is if you would like to dedicate your life to Jesus right now, that you would raise your hand and we will pray with you. Jesus, thank you. Father, thank you for your presence this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for being the great I am. Father, thank you for the reminder, Lord, in 1 John 1, 9, that says, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And God, that you'll cleanse us from all, unwa- from all wickedness. God, I thank you for this morning. God, I pray for every heart that is far off this morning, God. God, I pray, Lord, for your presence. I pray, God, that there be confession and repentance in your church. God, I pray, Lord, that as we humble ourselves, God, that you are quick to forgive us, that you're quick to receive us, that you're quick to refresh us and fill us with fullness of joy. So Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you would just have your way, God. Have your way in your church, in your people, God. Because I know church just isn't a place when we come together to gather, but we are also your church. We're your temple. So Father, I ask you to meet us here. Meet us here, God. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, uh, the presence of the Lord is here. And there's freedom. So I just want to leave you with this, church. The altars are open. God is good, and he's faithful, and he's just. Amen?